Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and today I'm doing a, not a late night podcast, but it's a sort of uh, operating on minimal sleep podcast. Our pipes burst last week uh, due to the cold in the northeast here, and we've, you know, had to go to an undisclosed location. Uh, It's disrupted a few things, um, not the least of which is my sleeping pattern. Uh, So that's why I haven't done anything like this in a little while. And I just wanted to get on and talk about uh, balance in Kung Fu techniques in Wandering Heroes of Ogregate. This would apply to Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades as well, but that game is a little tighter in terms of balance. So I, I, did, I do want to distinguish here. Um, but I think this advice might still be useful to people. Um, the, uh, before I start, though, I just want to mention that the Lady 87 book, Sons of Lady 87, which is a wuxia sandbox sort of criminal underworld type setting adventure that's available uh, you can go on to drive through and get the pdf you can go to the studio 2 webpage and order the print you can go to the bedrock games website and find all the information on it um, i think it's a really great book i i hope people check it out it's definitely um i don't know i i i think that this is a really good presentation of how i tend to run wandering here as a Vogate. It is organized a little bit differently, and I hope that that doesn't throw people off. I organized it in the way that I usually structure my campaigns. Uh, my only worry is that, that might make things difficult for people as we've traditionally organized the books uh, in a, with NPCs having their own sections and things like that. I tried to put everything kind of where it is in the setting. Um, so hopefully that works for people, but go check it out. Uh, it, it is getting positive responses when I've heard from people. Uh, so, so yeah, so today I want to talk about balance and Kung Fu techniques. This has to do with two, two things, both creating new techniques, um, but also it has to do with when characters put together combinations of techniques and use them in a particular way that is maybe making them more powerful than the GM would otherwise expect. Wandering Heroes of Ogregate doesn't take a parody approach. It doesn't try to balance everything, and it very much leaves that up to the individual group. Part of the reason for that is it's just the nature of the type of game it is. It has a lot of powers, and my experience with games with a lot of powers is the more you try to rein them in, the the less fun it can be, the less enjoyable. You kind of want some of that random element. Now, some of that is constrained by techniques belonging to different martial arts sects. It could be further constrained by randomizing acquisition of martial arts techniques. That has its own problems, Um, but you could certainly do that. That's something that we did with Satorius when we wanted to specifically create unbalanced spells. We made them all randomized, and that is a good way to sort of allow for those power spikes, but to, um, to, to maintain some semblance of balance where it isn't just playing into the hands of people that are really skilled at optimization. But Ogregate is a game where I I built it with a number of player types in mind, one of which was an optimizer. Um, it's not a game where I expect every campaign will do that. I don't expect most campaigns will do that. But I expect if you have a group of players who like to optimize, that they will enjoy this game. And I occasionally like to run games with players who are more on the optimization end. I also run the game with people who are more on the, you know, for lack of a better term, the role play end of the spectrum or who uh, who want something that's a little bit more roughly balanced overall. Uh, and so today what I'm talking about, though, is 
you know, characters or kung fu techniques where that power spike is way up and where the balance is definitely not what people would typically expect. And so some caveats to get out of the way. Obviously, if balance issues are creating problems among the players, that's that's something you have to deal with. And so this isn't uh, this this isn't an argument for just blatantly ignoring balance when it creates issues. If it creates issues, then you know that's why there are things in the game like the Bowden clause and those kinds of things where there were things that we noticed and things that can be you know tweaked and improved and uh, sort of bring things into line a little bit more. Uh, so even in one of my campaigns where I'm not necessarily so terribly worried about balance, I still have an eye towards it. I still, I still keep an eye on where things are going. Um, but again, this is not a, uh, this is not just like a, you know, uh, ignore what your players are saying type of advice. This, this is very much dependent on what type of group you have and what type of game they enjoy playing. So the this is all predicated on the premise that you have a group of players who like to play slightly overpowered characters, who enjoy powers that are slightly overpowered, and know how to make good strategic and tactical use of those things. Um, you will find, I think, if you have a mixed group where you have say two players who are really great at that sort of thing and two or three players who are either not interested or not great at it, that's going to create issues. So this assumes that you have players who are all on the same page. Uh, and, and what I want to say about this is that if you have that and if they're making characters that are super good, like say, just as an example, because on the GM side, this is where I think people usually have a degree of annoyance, you throw a chi rank five character at a group of chi rank two characters. And they're, and again, this is not always easy to do, but you can construct lower chi rank characters so that they're able, even one-on-one, -on -one, to contend with a higher rank uh, opponent. You know, and so let's say they do that and that they that you, you throw that chi rank five against a chi rank two character. A chi rank two character, because of the kung fu techniques that he's chosen, because of the uh, tactics that he has planned on, uh, especially as he sees the opponent's abilities, overcomes the Chi Rank 5 guy. And let's say it's really quick. The, the Chi Rank 5 character drops in a second. It's like one or two rounds and it's over. Um, one way to approach it is say, well, gee, that's not fun because the opponent that I had devised for the party just... You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't an exciting match where they felt threatened or anything like that. On the other hand, you have to read your players. If the players, if the player is ecstatic that they just defeated this chi rank five guy, and it's still within keeping with the genre, I don't see the problem. There are a lot of movies where you have characters who are just badass, for lack of a better word, and they go around stomping powerful characters they maybe occasionally run into somebody who's challenging for them for various reasons but i mean you know look at the movie golden swallow for example now granted there are opponents in that movie that are challenging for him but most people he can just dispatch quite easily because the whole point of the movie is how awesome he is and so if players want to be characters like that and they know how to use the system to make that happen then i think that that's a different type of campaign and the way to approach it is to kind of go with it and not necessarily say, well, okay, now I'm going to reconfigure everything so that it's difficult for them. What I do instead 
is I up my gains slightly on occasion uh, because I do want to provide some challenge. But for the most part, I don't worry about it. If they're going around stomping things into the ground because they're awesome and it works for the campaign, there's still a lot of stuff that can go on that's that's going to stem from that. It's kind of like when we did Sartorius and the premise is they're godlike characters who have all of these powerful spells and they can essentially go in and, and take over a city or something. Well, what happens after they take over the city? That's that's where a campaign like this is likely to go. Uh, it, it, and again, you will still have opponents. So just as an example, you know, I, I would encourage people to check out my Celestial Plume Masters campaign because that is an example, not precisely of the type of uh, player group that I described, but, but but these are people who all understand the the system very well, and they're all very adept at tactics and selecting kung fu techniques, and so they've made a very capable party. Um, I think if you check that out and see how I'm how I'm managing it, you'll see that there's a, there's still a lot of excitement that goes on, but these are characters that in the end are just awesome martial heroes. And that's kind of what the point of the campaign has become. And I have no problem as a GM leaning into that. Um, you know, one thing that I that I do is I observe what they're good at, and then I will maybe select one or two enemies who are either observing these rising characters or who are just particularly well-suited to them for whatever reason. And I'll build them in response to that. But it's not, it's not like I would do it across the whole campaign. I'm not going to have every enemy they face... So just as an example, with this campaign, these players, they use a lot of poison techniques. Um, and so to have like every third person they face be immune to poison or have, you know, you know antidotes up the wazoo, I, I, I don't want to do that. They might face an opponent in the distant future who's particularly well suited to dealing with their poison, um, but it's not going to be all the time. Uh, and... and uh, and I kind of want to save those things. I, I, I have a, I have kind the way that I look at it is I have like two or three, uh, two or three powerful uh, bullets that I can fire at the party, and I'm biding my time with them, and I'm not terribly worried even in those instances how they pan out. If if I construct something that I think is going to be really effective against them and it turns out not to be, that's fine. I'm, I'm equally surprised by the outcome. So the, to me, the fun in a game like this is the surprise. Now, this isn't going to work in every campaign. I'm not saying that you should always do this. Sometimes you will want to lean more into, and, and again, you can see how I am leaning into that to a degree, but you'll want to lean a lot more into the whole evolution of the martial world thing, which I talk about both in Ogre Gate and in Wandering Heroes of, uh, uh, sorry, in the uh, Sons of Lady 87 book. With that, that that's that that is 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 the real way. If you are interested in balancing this stuff out, to balance it out, to have kind of a natural flow of you have these characters that are introducing either new techniques that are really powerful, or an assemblage of techniques that work really well together, and people are taking note, and pe those that are interested in defeating them are maybe training with them in mind. It's sort of like how. And again, I use this example all the time only because it's a perfect example. But in Lady Hermit, how uh, the villain in that movie has this black claw technique that's just nobody can seem to defeat it. And he's able to take over this, re not take over, but he's like a local bully, basically. And Lady Hermit, 
uh, gets injured by him, has to go into sort of hiding and then devise a counter to so that she can face him again. And so that's sort of the idea of the evolution of the martial world, where it's just a constant thing of things getting uh, more advanced and, evo- and evolving so that it's, it's never in sort of a flat state. Um, if you do that, then that's going to make even like, like so a good technique that gets introduced uh, that's really powerful might become obsolete by the end of your campaign. That's kind of how that would work. That's the way that I like to do it when balance is an issue. But again, this is a campaign where I'm not particularly worried about balance. What I'm worried about is, does this feel like a really great uh, wuxia uh, series to me or a wuxia movie or a wuxia novel or whatever? You know, um, again, there's just a lot of movies where, they, and they don't always start out this way. Sometimes they start out fairly weak but as they go on the character gets really powerful in a lot of these stories and i think that's fine for a group of player characters to uh to be to be powerful and then for the story to largely be about how they wield that power um again this is just for you know certain types of players i used to run a lot of 3.5 and i played with uh, groups that I would say are more on the optimization end. And initially, I was not that into that. I even complained quite a bit. But I I was forced to optimize on the GM side and get to know that style. And so it's just something where I've realized when that's what the players want and they're enjoying themselves, you should you should lean into it. Nogagate is definitely capable of, 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 of players optimizing the system and of the GM leaning into that optimization. So, yeah, so, and again, this is just, you know, uh, you know, both on the end of the characters assembling together Kung Fu techniques that in combination achieve a result that might exceed what you would normally expect. But also uh, for if you are introducing new Kung Fu techniques to the setting or if your players are trying to introduce them. And now, th- again, there are methods in the book that are described for when players do create Kung Fu techniques that are meant to mitigate that. Sometimes I go lighter on those things and allow players to create techniques. I have a blog post about that um, where I allowed a player to create technique, a suite of techniques for one character. And the limitation I imposed on him was that he could only use the techniques from this one manual that he's devising. And it's going to amount to a smaller number of techniques. But they're quite good. And we're tweaking them as we go. I want him to be sufficiently powerful that he's sort of there with the rest of the group. And again, this is sort of a martial awesome campaign. But I don't want it to be so powerful that it just there's there's no point to even rolling, say. So um, so you know so so we've been tweaking things a little bit here and there as we go. Uh, but overall, I'm going light on trying to restrain the power level because again, in this campaign, it's not really the point. So so you know sometimes RPGs are power fantasy, and sometimes that's okay, especially when the fantasy becomes more complicated because of you know the various politics and factions involved and things like that. You can, um, you know, the players can, uh, you know, have an easier time defeating their enemies and still have a tough time uh, managing that success. So, yeah, that's the basic point that I wanted to touch on today. It's just a short podcast. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I covered all of my basic points, but I'll probably follow up with another one at some point or people, especially people raise any questions. I did want to say, once again, check out my Celestial Plume Masters campaign on the Bedrock blog. This is just my uh, my uh, session logs for my, my uh, Friday game 
where I'm currently running uh, a, a new campaign in the Lady 87 book uh, material. And I think that'll give you a window into kind of how I do things. And uh, I, I also think that it'll uh, give some insights on how to use the system. I, I try to do footnotes in these session logs where I explain certain things like that to players. So, so if there's a if something happens, I sometimes will have an asterisk or a multiple asterisk into the bottom. You'll see an explanation for how that came about and what I was thinking as a GM and you know what tools I might have used to arrive at whatever happened. So uh, I think it's a particularly good session log to check out. Um, I need I need to make a sidebar with them so that they're all put together. But for right now, since it's a fresh campaign log, I'm just kind of doing it on its own, and it's going to be a fairly short campaign. This won't be a this won't be like the 80 session campaigns. This one's probably going to be closer to 20, I'm guessing, but it's going to depend. Um, and and uh, and again, I did have my pipes burst last week, so we missed a session, but we'll be uh, back on next week, and there'll be another session log after that. And so and so yeah, so uh, there's that. I also want to say. And I apologize if uh, my voice is, is beginning to fail me. But I wanted to say uh, I really appreciate all of the feedback that I've been getting from people, the, the reviews and the comments online. If you, if you want to support what I'm doing, uh, the best thing that you can do is a written review, either on a blog or on DriveThru or on Amazon. That drives so much interest in the games. And that really gets, that kind of, that, that, you know, just, it just gets us into uh, people's minds more. Um, it's, 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 it's the main way that, uh, uh, that Bedrock has a reach with anyone. And the same goes for the blog. If you like the blog, if you like anything that I posted, repost it, share it. Uh, it's really helpful. Uh, blog traffic is always up and down depending on algorithms. So I'm always, uh, very, uh, dependent on, on reposts and things like that. So again, I'll, I'll be back on. Uh, and, you know, uh, in the meantime, check out the session logs. And until next time, I will talk to you later.